Welcome to the Haber Show. This week's guest is one of my all-time favorite dudes to talk to in the NBA. His name is Shane Battier. He's currently the Miami Heat's VP of Basketball Development and Analytics. He's super smart. I think I read somewhere that he had a 3.96 GPA in high school his senior year. Dude, what's up with that A-? So he's a two-time NBA champion, and as a Wake Forest Demon Deacon myself, it pains me to point this out that he was an NCAA champion as well at Duke University. I say that in hushed tones because I don't want to say it too loudly. Anyway, I hadn't seen Shane since the passing of Kobe Bryant, so I wanted to pick his brain about guarding the Lakers legend and get inside the mind games that he played with Kobe. Amazing to hear about the chess match, what it takes to guard an all-time great scorer like Kobe. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy this one. And keep in mind, we recorded this at the Sloan Conference on March 7th. So apologies if this isn't as current as possible, but I think you're going to enjoy it nonetheless. Without further ado, Shane Battier. We are here at the MIT Sports Analytics Conference. Uh, It is on. Shane Battier here. He is... A regular here at the Sloan Conference, I would say, uh, one of the former players who comes to this uh, regularly and always shows out with his pant choice. That's all I have, Tom. People know me now for my content or my stories for my pants. So. Yes. What a great legacy to have. Your career, your championships at Duke. No one cares. Uh, in high school, you're, you won at every level of every sport you've ever ever played, and yet now it's reduced to magenta. What, what color are these? Um, I'm, I'm going to call it Miami red. It's not really Nantucket red. It's Miami red. I remember a green that you used to do. I like the the hot colors, but I'm more of as Wake Forest, as you know. Wake Forest, they don't really wear a lot of jeans at Wake Forest. It's a lot of khaki pants. A lot of khaki. And a lot of Merlot. Past- a lot of Merlot. <laughs> no, don't order the Merlot. Please don't order Merlot. No, there's not a um, not a lot of Merlot at Wake Forest. It's a lot of Natty Light. Yeah. Okay. What's that? Natural Light. Come I on, man. Talk. Come on. Thank you. We shared some beers before. I was I was scoffing at the the fact you didn't know what Natty Light was. What no, do you What I, do you drink at Duke University? It's Bud Light. Bud Light. Go up a step. Yep. I've had I've had my fair share of Natty Light and, and Keystone, but it's, we stick to the basics. Natty Light in North Carolina is the cheapest that you can. Uh, Bush Light, Bush Light, and Bush Natty Light. Light. Yeah. Yeah. Bush Light tastes way better. Yeah. Than Natty Light. Yes. Now Bush Light has like the seltzer that you can get, like the 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 seltzer mixes. Yeah, what do you I think about the I, seltzer mixes? I, I can't do it. I can't do it even on a hot day. Are you a seltzer guy? I am. I'm a LaCroix guy. I'm a Perrier guy. What kind but of LaCroix? Like, what's your ranking? Oh, uh, Pamplemousse. Yeah. Pamplemousse and then, every, then everything else. I do the Key Lime. Maybe that's the Miami. I, I, I leave Miami. Okay. And I can't leave it entirely. So I get okay. the Key Lime one. That's fair. But I, I used to hate seltzer. Like, I felt like it, it burned my throat. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the deal you want to do is go into a flavored seltzer before you just go straight, like bubbly, like a clean carbonated water because that threw me off yeah i enjoy it I, it's you know it's in vogue now but i think i find it refreshing the the, the carbonated water yeah, yeah i'm not a seltzer a hard seltzer guy ken jennings is here but i remember there was a jeopardy thing if there was someone we, we did a jeopardy story or i asked you there was something we we did us like who would beat you in a jeopardy or something like that in the nba mm-hmm. i forget i don't know why zach randolph comes up in my head there's something something to do with Jeopardy. Who would beat you in a in a Jeopardy in the NBA? And now that he's here, I I, I should probably follow up. Who would if you faced off in a in a Jeopardy duel with an NBA player? Who would you be most scared walking in that door? Um, who Jer- can match your match your wits? I think Jeremy Lin. 
Oh, yeah. Harvard guy. Yep. You know, anyone who goes to Stanford, Ivy League school, you know, Michigan, UVA. I'm waiting I would, for it. Just waiting. Um, How many schools do you have to name before you get to Winston-Salem? Uh, um, <laughs> a lot. A lot. <laughs> I, respect, I respect my, my Deacon brothers and sisters, but it's, it's a good school. Yeah. Good school. Well, uh, we... We won last time you uh, Duke faced off, so I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Shouts to uh, Brandon Childress, Randolph Randolph's son, who is now playing at Wake Forest, which is kind of crazy. That's tampering. I can't I can't. Speak <laughs> we are in the bowels here at uh, the Boston Convention Center, and I wanted to talk to you about Kobe Bryant because you faced off him with him 37 times 37 games i don't know how many players you faced off against more than kobe bryant it's probably a very short list but with him passing ben cohen did a story about how you didn't know kobe bryant but you knew kobe bryant at the wall street journal and i wanted to follow up and just coming into the nba you had won at duke you had won in high school and you come into the league and you, I think in the first like couple weeks of being in the NBA, you had to guard or at least face off against Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Yeah. So you no, were, no, you that's, were BMO, that's you were, baptism by fire. Yes. I mean, come on. <laughs> you were BMOC as winning as uh, the winningest guy at yep. college hoops. And then you go into Memphis yep. and you got to guard these guys. Yeah. On a bad team. We were bad. <laughs> so when I graduated Duke, we won 131 games, lost 15. So at the time, it was it was the greatest four year period uh, that college basketball had ever seen in terms of wins. To go to the Memphis Grizzlies, who at the time had the lowest winning percentage of the four North American sports. So but that's how the draft works. So literally, but out of football, basketball, baseball, and hockey, oh. they were the worst franchise. Had the lowest winning percentage. So literally, I went from the penthouse to the outhouse, and and where that really uh, shows up is for a basketball team is on help defense. And so I had to guard these monsters. And uh, Michael Dickerson got hurt uh, three games into, into our year, who, who was a heck of a player and great, yes. a great two-guard. Yes. People forget about him. He was so tough, great defender. And so I became the new two-guard. I played power forward in college. And so my first few weeks were – This is the problem with versatility. Oh, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, and, and Kobe. And I learned why bad teams are bad uh, very quickly, and uh, especially on – uh, help defense. You had to put out a lot of fires. A lot of fires, and there wasn't much help. You know, I had, I had a young Pau Gasol who was still learning English for for goodness sakes. You know, much less. I think he much less help side defense. Yeah, oh, by far, <laughs> by far. But guarding my heroes a couple of weeks into my my NBA career, that was that was terrifying, but it was also amazing. So do you uh, do you get starstruck when you're 22, 23 year old Shane Battier? going into the NBA, or you're just treating them all like they're just another guy? My first game I was starstruck was Scottie Pippen. We were playing the, the Blazers in, uh, in the Pyramid in Memphis, and uh, I don't think I ever played it hard, as hard as I did in the, for that exhibition game, the first one, because I'm like, I'm playing against Scottie Pippen. And like I think I had like 12 points, and, and Pip had like like six or eight, whatever, first game. Because you grew up watching yeah. Pippen. Like, bl- and so, Pistons, like, bl- like uh, the, Bulls, yeah. that game, I'm like, you know what? May, you know, maybe I do belong in the NBA. Now, I didn't know, like, no one played hard in the exhibition season. So, the first good. game yeah. for until, like, a couple of years in. I'm like, oh, you know, it's kind of Pippen didn't play hard that game. But, and so, at first year, you're like, hey, man, can I, do I belong in the NBA? 
And that's what I tell rookies, your rookie year, it's about sink or swim. Do, do you belong? Do you physically belong? Can you compete at NBA level? Year two is about, okay, I can compete. I belong. Is this, now how can I contribute? Yeah. How can I make a difference? How can I make an impact on the game? And then year three, um, at least it was for me, I said, okay, how do I do this every night? How do I contribute every single night and impact the game every single night? And that was the progression that I had to go through. And these younger kids, they, they come in and they impact the game a lot quicker now. But those are the steps you got to take in whatever speed you, you, you take. And in the first couple of weeks of the season, you were having that, oh, I'm facing X player tonight yeah. every single night. Yeah. And so your yeah. your ability to get up for those games, I don't know if it contributes to the rookie wall, is that for the first few months of the season, you're just like jacked up and you're yeah. like, like so yeah. nervous and anxious like yeah. to go play and then once things kind of slow down mm -hmm. and you're like it's january and we still got 30 yeah. more games left yeah. well being on a bad team we i had lost more games by uh i think middle of december than i lost in four years at duke okay so there was the losing toll and then just the grind of uh, of the season, you know, you get to January and we call them the rigors, the rigors of the season set in and, uh, you're going to bad weather cities and you're just like, I got to play again. And, uh, you know, the first year is a really interesting year. And once you get past it, you say, Oh, so that's what they talk about the grind. And you learn to, you learn to love it. You learn to embrace it. And, um, you, you find joy in those, in the, in the rigors, as they say. When you go against Kobe Bryant the first season, is there a scouting report on your locker room? What does it look like? Your rookie season, what are you looking at yeah. to get ready for Kobe Bryant? Well, I, I actually have changed uh, since Kobe's passing. I've, I've changed uh, my, my public speaking stump speech to, uh, to include a lot of, of how I approached Kobe. And because uh, I had some unbelievable battles with him and he meant more to me uh, in my career than I ever ever knew until he, he, passed, he passed away. And so uh, my way of honoring our, our battles and our, our friendship, non-friendship um, is to illustrate just how, how much of a challenge he presented to me as, as a player at the top of his profession. And I, I laugh because I have an old scouting report of when I played against Kobe. And you still have you. I still have it, yeah. And I, I show it to everybody, and uh, it's just so funny because in this in this data age now, where everything is percentage based and percentile based, and you you know who a guy is and who is not. In the Stone Age, before those days, they were all subjective scouting reports. So actually, I put it on the screen and show everybody. It says, you know, Kobe has is a capable three point shooter, loves the step back, great in the post, will run pick and roll. He will dunk it on your head. And my fa my personal favorite is, has the ability to take over games. <laughs> oh, thanks. Come on. <laughs> Come on. What? Someone gets paid to say, Kobe Bryant has the ability to take over games. I did not think of that. Thank you. And so the whole point was, like, you know, you're bringing a, you're bringing a knife to a gunfight, okay? And so you're trying to stop the greatest players of the world who are just a, a handful, even with all the information, and you, you don't. You're not, you're not giving anything actionable. And I compare that later on to like the reports I got from Sam and Daryl in Houston. Which, Sam Hankey and Daryl Moore. Yeah, Sam, yeah, Sam and, and Daryl. And it was all based on the data. And every player uh, was deconstructed to basically data. 
And every player has strengths and every player has weaknesses. Now, Kobe had, you know, relative weaknesses. His weaknesses were still better than most people's strengths. But still, he had, he had some relative weaknesses that at least gave me a chance to stay on the court with him. Versus the, the age before yeah. data where I had no idea what I was doing and it showed in the box score. I think that he hung a 56 on you at one point. Well, well I don't know about you. No. Maybe it wasn't on it you. It was on me. No, it was on me. It was on me. It was my, it was. Uh, Your rookie year, right? My rookie year, early December. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, early December. And it was at the Staples Center, Friday night. And news came that morning that Shaq was out. So I said, oh, crap. I know what that meant because at least with Shaq there, I mean, Shaq was like, people don't don't realize how great and dominant the Lakers were. They were so good with Shaq and Kobe. But when Shaq wasn't there, that was Kobe's green light to like, I'm going to show everybody that I don't need this, this fool. Yeah. And so I knew he was just going to go for literally 60. So I'm like, oh, crap. And so like, I'll never forget the feeling I got. You're a doormat. Like he's looking at you. Like I'm just yeah. gonna run all over. I'm, so, I'm gonna kick this this young rookie from Duke. Thinks he's hot, hot. Mm-hmm. And just the butterflies and the anxiety. Like he was one guy I always had anxiety playing against. Where I'm just like, oh man, he he may embarrass me. He may embarrass me. And it was it was from that night in Staples Center, no shack, and he had 56 points on me in three quarters. He didn't even play in the fourth quarter. They were beating us so bad. <laughs> No, we were, yep. we were a bad team. Tony Massenberg and Grant Long, Nick Anderson, Ike Austin. Our roster was not very good. Those were our veterans with Pau Gasol, Stromal Swift, Brevin Knight. We just weren't very good. And he didn't play the fourth quarter. They're, be- they're beating us by 40. At one point, I think he had, at the end of the third quarter, we had 58 and Kobe had 56. No. Yeah, that Col- makes sense. Kobe yeah. was almost beating us single-handedly. That's what people don't understand about Kobe's greatness is he was playing in an era where there was the, the final score was 79 to, yes. to 88. Yes. So when he's when in 2006, when he's dropping 35 points a night, it's like the equivalent of yes. 45 a night. Yes. And so when, when, he, when you're playing against him, 56 in three quarters is not in today's basketball where no. there's a billion possessions every game. No. This is, it's equivalent of him, you know, uh, if a nine-inning game was now a five-inning game mm-hmm. in that era. Yeah. I mean, just kicked my butt every which way. Gave me step-back jumpers, got to the rim. I was following him. He was in transition. In the half court, would just spin around me in the post. Like, I just, I had no, I had no answer. I had no answer. And basketball is, is a sport that is the most transparent sport. You can't hide in basketball mm-hmm. because you're, you know, face mask. There's, there's not a lot of people on the field. Um, you can see everything. So there's almost this exposure element to this that you're getting full laid and there's nowhere you can go. Nowhere. There's nowhere. You have to continue nowhere. checking Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And, and, I, and I was Duke boy at that point. I said, come on, guys. We got we to gotta band together and, and, and fight harder. Okay, and, and they all roll their eyes just like you did and, and said, okay, Duke boy, go, go shut up and go sit in the corner. And, uh, and so I was just going to fight through. And I, I took my medicine like a man that day. And uh, I learned. I, I learned, you know, one of many, many lessons playing against Kobe. Well, what, it, what, is, what is the thing that it made Kobe so good? Is it the, he had a counter to every, everything that you threw oh, at him? His mindset. You know, so much has been said about his mindset, but he truly, he truly was never satiated. He was never satisfied. If he had 20, he wanted 30. If you had 30, he wanted 40. If he had 40, he wanted 50. If, wanted, if you had 50, he wanted 60. If he had played that fourth quarter, yeah. oh, how he, many would he, he have? He would have had 70 at least. Yeah. Easy. 
because he was there. The only person that could shut down Kobe was probably Phil. Phil, Phil. yes, thank you, Phil. And I, see, <laughs> I remind him of that every time I see him. Um, but he just, you know, I knew I always had to be at my absolute best against Kobe mentally and physically, obviously. But mentally, it was like it was like stealing yourself for like a cage fight. And if I knew if I didn't have that every single time, I was going to be embarrassed. And there's no other player I can say that about. Not one. Now, he uh, was one of those guys that was relentless at coming at you. And you would almost, as a player, com- uh, as a competitor as you are, you want players at their best. You want them to be, uh, you don't want them injured. You yeah. want them to, like, at the top of the mountaintop, yeah. you want to go at, at the top. Yeah. But you, 23-year-old Shane Battier, as a rookie, you're like, please, like, <laughs> please, take it easy on I me. Ex- I like to think I accepted the challenge. I, you know, I don't think I ever look for charity. And when he kicked my butt, I, t- I took it like a man. And I, I took it as a learned experience. And I'm glad I did. I was never looking to switch off. I wanted to guard him. And and he gave he gave me the business a lot. But uh, I knew that's the only way I could learn and, and improve. And, and you take your lumps and you, and you learn diff- different uh, just tricks about guys the more you, you, you play them. You know, obviously going to Houston and, and getting the data was it was a huge part of my evolution as a defender and defending Kobe. But was there synergy back then? No. Like, was there any video that you could watch on the plane? Yeah, there was video. There was video. But it's like VHS or laptop yeah. or what? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, how, how many how many Kobe spins in the post do you have to watch to know that he's pretty good spinning going baseline in the post? You know, how many how many pick and roll splits you got to see to know that he can split a pick but and roll? But it would have been helpful to know what play type was his least efficient so you could try to force him into No, that. no question. And that's what came later. But just the raw video of, the, of his highlight clips, again, May as well tell me he's capable of taking. What over door games. did you try to force him into? Once you got the data, or once you like started trying to figure out, okay, I got more <sighs> tools at my disposal to attack him. Is there something that you were like, All right, yeah. I want to force him into this? Well, you know, in my, in my my later years with the Rockets, I understood exactly on a, on a sliding scale how dangerous each of the moves Kobe and every player for that matter um, were capable of, of producing, and so I knew when he went to his right hand and finished or shot in the paint when you factor in makes misses through throws um turnovers, turnovers whatever shots points shots, per play points per play passes the teammates their shots it was like a 63 percent shot which is as a defender that's not good not good when you sent him to his left hand and made him pull up outside the paint when you factor in makes misses turnovers fouls drawn three to, throws yeah. passes it was a 42 percent shot so you don't need to be a math major to know as a defender that the 42% is better for me than the 62%. Now, regardless of whether he makes or misses, it did not matter. It did not matter. You have, it's hard to accept, though, that the process... It, it really is not. Once you understand that you are playing a math game and understand that you have to put yourself in the best position to win, whether you win or not, is immaterial, you have to stay with the number. And that's what I did. And so I, I, I learned to really have amnesia on defense. I, I, I couldn't tell you what a guy did last possession. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because I had my game plan. Was that one of your great superpowers as a player is that you had amnesia, whereas a lot of players yeah. will play to what just happened and let them affect you? That was my greatest strength, my ability to, to, to focus on every single play and to understand what is needed right now. And I did not live in the past. I didn't live in the future. I was able to live in the present as a basketball player. And as a defender, it was, it was everything. Now, 
I would argue on offense, it was a huge detriment to my game because I became robotic and I understood what was good for me on defense. The converse was bad for me on offense. And so Interesting. I became, so I became a huge robot on the offensive end, never taking twos. It was a hard shot. I'm like, why am I going to take this this floater? It's a hard shot. Yeah. Not, not even the best players can make that shot. So why, what am I doing? Offense is more flow-based of like yes. you're trying to – read and react exactly whereas defense you're just much more, more programmed much more calculated much more left brain offense is all right brain create creative flowing defense is thinking you know and, and analyzing and calculating um and that's who i am as a person and so that's why it always made sense to me and it was easier you know and so you know guarding kobe you know a lot was made of me sticking my hand in his face as as a way to slow him down and was that a last ditch effort, or was that like, oh, today I'm well, just gonna I'm gonna try this? Well, it was interesting. It was it was a game within the game within the game, and so Kobe actually, um, I never read the Mama Mentality. Um, I got this this page from somebody who sent it to me after after he passed, and he actually dedicated a page to me, and I had never seen this until literally like a like a, a few weeks ago, and uh, he talked about how you know you know Shane was a smart defender, but the hand in the face technique. Just it didn't work. I had too much muscle memory, you know. It didn't was phase me. It, it didn't phase me. And I could shoot blind. I, been, yes, yeah. exactly. And I'm like, that's I love that. But the next part is what what got me was, he said, you know, but I always respected Shane because he knew he could never talk trash to me because that would that would just rile me up. Instead, he would tell people that there was no way that he could guard me. I knew that was false premeditated modesty. And attacked him because of it. <laughs> so that's a chess match, right there. Needless to say, so you, were you deliberately telling people? Needless to say, I always enjoyed my battles with, with Shane, and so like you know, it, it, make, it gives me goosebumps to even to talk about that now uh, because it it was the game within the game within the game, and the ch- and it was the ultimate chess match as as a competitor. And like, did you know that you were doing that? Like, would yeah. would you be hum- absolutely? Like, was it no? It was a hundred percent. I like look. I, I had I had huge you were going ego to, to be like I had no business guard. I had thing. a huge ego defensively. Now, offensively, I was slow and I couldn't jump. You know, I, I was what I was. But defensively, I knew I could I could guard people, and I knew that I could at least. I would never say I didn't stop Kobe. You know, I was you know as Ben Cohen said, I'm the I was the my goal was to be the human yellow yellow light. Yeah, <laughs> yep. And which I think is perfect. And my job was just to to try to mitigate these great players and so uh so when kobe said that it was it just reminds me of the ultimate chess match between he and i and i always lament that we'll never have a chance to to discuss that because i think he loved that chess game too because i like to think that there are a few people that that played that cat and mouse with him like like i played it you know there were guys that were obviously had physical battles with him and talked trash and it was a machismo thing but for someone who was so intellectual um and psychologically just 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 steeled i like to think he was my ultimate foil and i was his so the i remember in 2012 okc you're guarding kevin durant and i did a story i watched every shot that kevin durant took Mm -hmm. with a your hand in his face covering his eyes and every shot that he took with you just like hands down or just not contesting over his eyes he maintained that it did not affect him (laughs) but the numbers said otherwise yeah. is that when I watched the film, I charted every shot and your hand in his eyes did impact his numbers negatively. Yeah. Yes. 
And I wonder, even though Kobe says that, yeah. uh, hey, I didn't, uh, it didn't affect me at all. Yeah. Did you, did you have a well a sense of whether it worked or not? The answer is, in the end, it worked, but not for the reasons you think. I knew that Kobe, being the alpha male that he was, would never admit to that technique having an effect on him. And he will go out of his way to show the world that this technique didn't work, that he was impervious to it. Well, how is the only way to disprove that theory? By taking more mid-range jumpers. That's right. Which was his weakness. And so he may have hit more, but he took away his best shot, which was driving into the paint, drawing fouls, kicking the teammates, finishing at at an unbelievable rate, just to prove me wrong. And so that was the game within the game within the game again. So, you know, whether he made it or or missed, I didn't care. He wasn't doing the thing that gave people the most problems. And so... You're um, egging him on to do something that he thinks... Correct. ...is I'm showing him. Correct. You can't guard me, man. This blindfold ain't working. And you're like... Prove me wrong. Yeah. I, wrong. I think I can. I think and I can. And so that's that was my, and not just with Kobe, that, that was with Durant, that was with LeBron, that was with all those guys who I knew took it as a personal affront that I was I was insulting them by, oh, Shane's going to block my vision. I'm going to show him. Be my guest. Be my guest. Because the end game there is to lure them into taking exactly. those and so lower percentage. That's why it was the ultimate challenge for me. And uh, I, I lament we'll never have you know, a, a six pack and, and, uh, and be able to talk about this. Cause he would maintain, I know he would maintain today still that it didn't bother him. <laughs> and that's why no, I love no, him. No doubt. And, and that's, that's why, that's why I love Kobe. That's why I love him. And, uh, and I miss him. I watched the Memorial from New York. I was on set with Craig Melvin from the today show. And when we saw Michael Jordan go up on stage, we were like, Oh my God, Michael's going to talk. And we don't get to see Michael like this at all. Um, an emotional Michael Jordan. The, the the Naismith Hall of Fame speech is infamous, Michael Jordan. But we didn't get to see the relationship that he had, Kobe Bryant, with a lot of players or mm-hmm. former players. Yeah. But when Michael Jordan's up there, what was going through your yeah. mind? As a former player, competitor at the top of the game, yeah. well, you don't you don't know what to expect. Well, Michael, I thought, did an unbelievable job of summing up so many of the feelings that, uh, that we all had as, as basketball brothers. And we, we are. As much as we are competitors, only those who have sat in that locker room and, and run out that tunnel understand uh, what what this game means. And um, and so for those who played against Kobe with Kobe, um, it, it affected us a different way. And Michael was just so eloquent. And um, you talking know, about texting with Kobe at three in the morning about yeah, tips. it's unbelievable. You know, but like, what's awesome about what Michael said was he showed vulnerability. And I think that is what um, this whole tragedy really is about. It's about being vulnerable, you know, for for a Superman who we thought that you know Kobe's gonna live forever because our heroes do live forever, and they they pass away at a, in a ripe old age, and, and we we laud them for their career and erect statues. Our, our our heroes don't leave us too too quickly, and, and Kobe did. And and every dad I talked to hugged, you know, hugged his kids, and his wife told him he loved them, and. That was a side of Kobe that was coming out, and that's that's one of the tragedies of, of this. Uh, you, you started to see a vulnerable Kobe that wanted to give back and wanted to use his boon of of his mentality as a gift to the world and raising his daughters, and and just 
just be a treasure and, and be vulnerable. And that's not something that is is promoted in sports because it's such a, uh, a machismo world. Yeah. Yep. But it's beautiful and it, it adds a human element to to this game, um, almost too human, as as we found out. Um, but it's uh, it, it, it's poetic and it's and it's beautiful. When Michael cried, it felt like the world could cry too. Yeah. Like, man, this guy, Michael, he was the ultimate killer out mm-hmm. there where yeah. it just didn't seem like he was phased at all, yeah. no matter what, just ruthless in the same yeah. way that Kobe was. And when Michael was able to be vulnerable up there, I think it was cathartic for the world to see like, yeah. okay, these feelings that I had about Kobe dying and it's hitting me in ways I didn't expect. Yeah. Because honestly, for me, watching Kobe Bryant, he was... Uh, incredible, incredible basketball player, but I don't think the analytics community rallied around Kobe Bryant in the same way that they would of uh, LeBron or Chauncey or super high efficient guys, yeah. like true shooting percentage, Steve Nash's yeah. of the world. And so Kobe, for a lot of people analyzing the game, was just like, he is a ruthless killer, but he's also takes a lot of... N- low percentage shots <laughs> like that Shane Battier baits him into taking. And then uh, you you go uh, and you look at the sheer numbers of it all. And then the stat that just drew, just like destroyed me was that Kobe hung 40 on every franchise in the NBA. Every single team that he faced, he hung at least 40 points hmm. on that team. The only player in NBA history to do hmm. that. Every Will Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, they had their teams that they just Le- LeBron James still has a few teams that he still hasn't hit 40 against. And it's like, wow, Kobe was that relentless dude wow. that he was that guy. Um, and to the point of, you know, that your, your, uh, NBA grades live forever. Every MVP that has been in this league since 1956, still alive, except for three hmm. Wilt Moses and Kobe, all these Bob Cousy, like all these greats, that we grew up, Bill Russell, I think is going to be here at Sloan Conference. Maybe we'll see another great walk through here at 80 years old. And it's just so hard to wrap your mind that Kobe is not around. And that's what I think is so, yeah. uh, that this brotherhood that you have, this fraternity, you feel like you can, hey, I'll hit yeah. Larry Bird in, in 10 years. Because, mm-hmm. hey, He'll you know around. he's Larry Bird. He's going to be around here forever. Yeah. Do, you, do you have those moments yeah. with former players where you're like, hey, uh, Something I in my playing career I just never got a chance to ask you yeah. about, like that breaking bread moment with Kobe that you wish yeah. you had. Do you yeah. do that whenever? Yeah, you... after after Kobe passed, I, I definitely shot, you know, sent texts to teammates and say, you know what, I love you, man, and I, lo- I loved our time together, and you helped make, you know, this ride enjoyable when it was was bumpy, and uh, and we should. we should, you know, we should have gratitude for what we've been through and what we, what we go through. I saw, you know, so I met a world peace today, you know, and like, <laughs> I love that guy. And it was great just to sit down with him. I, I hadn't sat down with him in, in really years and just caught up with him and just yeah. hey man, how you doing? What's, what's, what's going on? And so it's, you guys crossed paths in Houston. We did. We, we were teammates. Yeah. We were teammates. Yeah. Ron, Ron. And I, and I grew up playing against Ron. So I, I still call him Ron, Ron. Uh, we were the same uh, high school class, McDonald's All-American game oh, and yeah. Nike camp. So I, I've been playing with or against Ron since we were 13 years old. So Talk about people who had a post-career that you didn't expect um, to have, like Kobe Bryant and his daughters. Um, he's probably number one on that list is the uh, the pioneering on the mental health side yeah. that, that he's done. Yeah. And the documentary he had on Showtime, I watched and it just blew my mind of yeah. what, how, how, smart he is Mm -hmm. how intellectual he is and how uh thoughtful he is from an environment that was 
not incubating yeah. that type of no, thought. No, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them. You know, and told them that today. Hey, you're doing great, at man. Sloan at the Sloan Conference. I mean, if you'd have said that back when we were 13 years old, old Ron Ron, but that's that's the fun part, man. Like seeing how guys turn out, seeing see, seeing their journey, being part of their journey, and 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 helping where you can. And that's 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 the, that's the fun part of this. When you look back, final thought on Kobe, what is the stat that you wish you had? <laughs> now that you're you're the director of analytics, oh, uh, at, you're, you're the head of bat, the 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 war chest for an NBA team now, the Miami Heat, and you have all these stats at your disposal. And the one thing you wish that rookie Shane Battier at the pyramid could have going against Kobe Bryant. Oh man, the one stat I wish I could have uh, would just be. Uh, how effective is trying to just keep him away from the basket? I thought I had the best the best set of information when I played him, uh, and it still didn't matter. So I don't, you know, I don't think I, I don't think. What about what about day. like in game, like first quarter? Does this work versus fourth quarter? Like, is there temporal things that you could nah, look into a, that change? A guy, a guy he is, is such a, a guy is who a guy is yeah. a guy who who he is. Then in the day, you, you play the numbers and and with with Kobe, they're just for no. No great answers you felt great about. <laughs> I remember in Miami, you had your own numbers. Like you, as a player, mm -hmm. you had your, like you did extra. Mm -hmm. When did that start happening? After I was in Houston. So You're like, Sam and Darryl gave me, they gave me a bunch of numbers that the rest of the team didn't have. Because I said, just give me more. Give me, uh, and I'll determine what is real or what's not. You'll sift through what is meaningful and what's not. Yeah, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of numbers out there. And some of them were bunk. And I would tell Daryl that. Like, this is a useless number. But this number is interesting. And so I said, just give me all the numbers and I'll decide which is important and which isn't. And it worked out for me for the most part. It, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Shane Battier at the Sloan Conference. Uh, best of luck uh, on the rest of the season. And uh, thanks for taking a spin through through memory lane on this. Uh, on Kobe Bryant, who RIP, still I learned something new about this guy every day uh, since he has passed. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's always nice to catch up with you and, Hey, another Sloan. I'm, I'm predicting yellow next year for your pants. <laughs> yellow pants. So. God willing. I like that. Law & Order SVU is now TV's longest running primetime drama. And this season, we're going even deeper with the Law & Order SVU podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Habershire podcast. I want to thank Shane Battier for joining me. It was awesome to go take a stroll down memory lane with him about his battles with Kobe and all the other NBA stuff we talked about. Always a fan of talking to Shane and getting up with him. Also want to thank Sue Bird again. Uh, if you haven't listened to the previous episode of The Haber Show, we talked to her about the coronavirus and CBD and all of the grind that comes with being a pro athlete. That was a great conversation. Go back and listen to that. And please subscribe, rate, and review whenever you get a chance. It would be a big help in sharing this podcast to all your millions of social media followers out there. Thank you for that in advance. And until next time on The Haber Show, please stay safe out there.